Welcome to the Code Turkey Podcast. This week, I'm with Cassie. Cassie as um, an introvert parkour, you know, like she was, um, you know, like she was, you know, like kind of all within herself, you know, like judging herself and, you know, like um, inflicting herself, you know, like a lot of pain and a lot of suffering through her own actually judging herself and quite, you know, like rough, you know, and it, it was a, it was an interesting conversation around that team, you know, like of, you know, like how do you perceive yourself and how do you see um, the way um, you, you kind of twist the way people perceives you and, um, I, I love talking to Cassie about that. Um, and she's now, um, embraced what she is, which is an artist and, uh, can't wait for you to listen to her. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like I do every week, you know, like I, I encourage you to share the podcast, let your social media know about the podcast. Um, and, uh, without further ado, here's Cassie. Enjoy. Hi, Cassie. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Alex? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, you know, like, it's funny. Um, it, 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 just before recording, I told you, like, you know, like, my first question will be, where are you located and how's the pandemic going for you? And uh, I would say that, you know, like, the, the only exception to um, to when you ask me what I'm doing is pretty much like, except for the fucking pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing Definitely. phenomenal, you know, so <laughs> I, we're stuck home, you know, like I can't, you know, like I, yeah. I can't, you know, like I, yeah. I can't anymore, you know, like, so yeah, I mean, where are you located? So I'm in the middle of New York's, uh, in a town called, or a city called Utica. I actually, when pandemic started, I was living in California attending treatment. So, um. I was around people then, um, but I just saw the people within my group. We, but we started doing um, virtual groups instead of meeting in person. So that was really interesting for me. And then because um, because of the pandemic, employment has been really um, odd. So I just decided to move back home and I'm currently living with my mom right now in Utica, but this is the house I grew up in and it's been kind of nice. Um, but the pandemic is making it hard. It's making it hard to see people and get out to meetings. It's crazy. And, um, how is you, what is the, what is the ruling as we speak right now? We're, we're almost December or, you know, like last few days of November, how, what is the ruling in terms of, you know, like meeting gatherings, um, you know, like, um, attending any of these, um, group, um, uh, gathering, w yeah. what is, what are the rules right now? Um, we can't, no leaving the house except for essential business. Um, most companies are working from home right now. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're encouraged not to see our families and to set up zoom calls. So, um, yeah, it's, pretty much only leave the house if you really, really have to go. And we're doing a lot of like Instacart orders instead of going into the stores. Yep. Um, we didn't meet for Thanksgiving. We just all sat on the zoom call, my family and I Ugh. and separately. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. Ugh. laughs> it was different. A zoom fondue or a zoom Turkey. Ugh. That's, <laughs> <laughs> um, are have meeting been labeled because uh, I spoke to someone else in the US and you know like they were they were um, they were able to actually label the uh, meetings you know like and I mean AA and NA and all of these meetings uh, they were labeled uh, essential services were you able it was the city of New York or you know like the the, the state of New York able to um, label the the meeting groups uh, as social uh, as essential services um, you know i'm not sure i know there are a few meetings that have started um meeting in person again like using 
really strict precautions, wearing masks and yep. sitting their chairs like six feet apart. But I've been just doing Zoom meetings. There's like a, a huge database of meetings um, pretty much all day long that you can go on. And it's kind of been neat because I've been meeting people from all over the world, really, um, just from the comfort of my own home. So it's really interesting to get like a fresh perspective um, from other sober people that don't necessarily live in my area. It's 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 cool. Someone told me about a, a an app called In the Rooms. Is that it? it oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a website, I think. So yeah, you just they, there's a phone app for it. Yeah. You know, like that's the beauty of that. Oh, like it's know. crazy, yeah. And I didn't know about this. So like, so right at the beginning of the of the pandemic, uh, I did like the pandemic fiesta with a few folks from the U.S. And you know, like I think we were four. Um, one in California, one in Florida one in Toronto and me so cool. and uh, someone told me about that because my first few Zoom meetings, I was just in shock, you know, like not necessarily, I was not, I'm not the big auger type, you know, like I, I don't, you know, like necessarily, but, but the, um, the vibe of a room, I would definitely mm -hmm. feed on it. You know, like I, I, I I've always yeah. loved feeding on that and, um, and missing this, you know, like actually on, on a Zoom meeting. So, Um, right. so someone told me, he's like, yeah, but you know, like, have you, have you tried in the rooms? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, you can have a meeting like in New Zealand and it's so awesome. You know, like you make new friends mm -hmm. and all that, you know, like I've tried a few times, but you know, like I have to admit that, you know, like if it wasn't for having really close friends, um, that I can actually, you know, like talk to that, you know, like knows about, um, not only my sobriety, but new knows about, you know, like the the movement of, you know, like any anonymous meetings, um, I would, I probably would have a, a much harder time, you know, like, which I'm, did you know about meetings before Cassie or, you know, like it was kind of a new thing for you at the time when pandemic hit? Um, no, I definitely, I knew about meetings. I've been going to meetings for a, a while. So June 14th of 2019 is my sobriety date. Okay. Um, but back in 2013, there was a time when I was, I tried and I was seven months sober. Um, and I, so I've known about AA in the rooms and NACA, um, since then. So yeah, I've throughout the years kind of come and gone. This is, um, a whole new life I'm living right now though, with my longest running sobriety date, it's almost a year and a half and, Um, I couldn't do it without like going to as many meetings as I do. Yeah. And it's, you know, like a, I spoke to someone that, um, I think she had three weeks clean. She was in BC and, uh, she only had three weeks clean before the shit hit the fan. And, oh, uh, man. and so she was, I guess life is almost miraculous as it is, you know, like she had enough time in those three weeks to build a, a, a like a network of contacts that could, mm -hmm. she could, that she trusted enough to reach out to. And I was so blown away. I was like, Oh my God, you know, like I'm much, much more of an introvert, you know, like it would have took, well, <laughs> it took me three years mostly you know, to, right. to build my own network. But yeah, I mean, like I was, I was not only impressed, but just, I mean, that, that was phenomenal. Like, and, and so now, you know, like our new reality is that, well, meetings can be fully virtual and I'm good. I'm like, okay. You know, like it, it, I, I was, yeah, I was quite impressed by it. And so I guess, you know, like people are, are going to get used to that. And, you know, like I don't see, and, and, and at the same time, you know, like I love the fact that you can actually reach out to people that, you know, would be too far away from, from a meeting room or, you know, like that it would be too tough for them to travel down to a few meetings a week, you know, like one traveling, two traveling would be enough for a week, but with virtual, you know, you can actually attend a few meetings a day, you know, which is again, you know, like a great thing. Um, and so here in Quebec, they've decided that if there's a few meetings that are seven days a week that are never going to be shut down. Uh, even after all of that uh, rolls out. So, um, so we'll see, you know, like I think, yeah, I think it has, it has forced an adaptation to something that was long due. Um, 
And my guess is that it's still missing, uh, you know, like it's still missing like an online presence. Um, I don't see much of the official authorities, you know, like the AA, you know, like you see groups talking about it, but you know, like you don't see AA having like, and you know, like some that are, you know, like our, our vid listeners are going to be just fed up by me saying it, but, um, one thing that I'm missing right now is, you know, like, has we still have that news, that newspaper clip of AA in the classifieds? Um, I don't see, you know, like I don't see ads in Facebook or Instagram for like a lot of word of mouth. You just have to yeah know people i guess which you know like i'm 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 45 so you know like i i know what newspaper is but you know like my guess is that you know like my son and grandson and you know like i have a five-year-old you know like you won't know what you know like what you won't read the classifieds in the newspaper you know like so you probably won't even get it yeah exactly so so for me you know like even even you know like that 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 the generation following myself, you know, like are not even plugging in, you know, like on TV, you know, like, so, so they don't get cable. Um, and so how are we going to, you know, like, uh, do, do the, these organizations are going to reach out to, you know, like the, the next, um, the next addict, you know, like the, the next addict, you know, like, so, so for me, it's just, you know, like the, the, as, as virtual and the pandemic has forced and, and encouraged and, pretty much forced the, the implementation of, you know, virtual meetings. Um, I guess I, I think, you know, like it has to be, um, it has to be reflected furthermore into, okay, now that we're virtual, how do we reach out to, you know, like our, our, our kids, you know, like the, the, the younger ones, uh, that are not reading the newspaper that are definitely not watching TV. Um, yeah, something has been, yeah, has need to be, and my sponsor would give me shit right now saying, well, get involved and fix it. You know, so he's right. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the other cool thing is I'm actually part of the eating disorder. I'm in recovery from eating disorders and because of COVID, um, Instagram put a group together where you can go online at any time and eat with people. Um, face to face. If you want to have your snacks, if you feel more comfortable eating your snacks or your meals, like in the company of other people, um, like literally anytime you go on and it's like a COVID-19 eating disorder group. It's really great. Wow. And I didn't know about this. So, okay. We're gonna, I gotta keep this in mind because I I have questions around that. Um, but I'm going to be, I'm going to, you know, like, I don't want to waste any time. I'm going to re- rewind your life story tape to, and, and bring me back to either your own substance contact, you know, like your, your own first substance contact or, or a situation where, you know, like someone else has used that has impacted you that you can remember from, from when you were younger. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of. And I kind of grew up in a weird situation because nobody in my family drank or used drugs or had any addictions whatsoever. So I didn't grow up around it. And for the longest time, I just, I didn't drink like in high school, I didn't drink, but I had the the hardest time fitting in. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in and just, um, really struggled. Felt like a loser, like cried myself to sleep every night. And I went to college and all I wanted to do was come home and just see my mom and see my, uh, the guy I was dating who lived at home at the time. I wasn't really putting in any eggs into the college basket and I wasn't, I wasn't making any friends and it wasn't fun for me. It was miserable. How far um, far do you remember feeling that way? Oh, since, I mean, since I can remember, I, I, I've been in therapy since I was like age five and I know I've been, um, diagnosed depression since age 11. So it's always been, I had a rough time growing up for sure. Um, just was never comfortable in my own skin and always felt like I wasn't enough. And I had to like really push myself and was always pushing myself to be better and better. But no matter how much I accomplished, it wasn't good enough. Um, there was just like so much going inside my brain, going on inside my brain at all times. Um, just a lot of anxiety too. But my sophomore year of college, I finally decided to take a drink and it was crazy. The whole night 
um, the whole, the whole party became all about me. All these people were like, it's Cassie's first time drinking and they're all handing me drinks and they're all coming up to me and talking to me and everybody's laughing. And I finally like, and I just, I, I like came alive. I was like, this is the answer. This is what I've been missing. This is the answer to all my problems. Like now I see how everybody's getting along and laughing and having such a easy, like an easy time relating to each other. Um, from then on, like I, I just kind of, I was hooked. Like I used alcohol and drugs to go before I went anywhere, but I just was like, this is my crutch. Like I can't do anything without it now because this is clearly like what I've been missing my whole life. How old were you? I was um, 20 the time I took my first drink. And so before that, you know, like, was there any, you know, like kind of escape um, tools that you had? You know, like you, you talked about, you know, like kind of running to be alone or, or isolated, but, you know, like, um, was there any, you know, like you, you talked about, um, you know, like the eating disorder, you know, was that mm -hmm. already, uh, kind of uh, present in your life or was there, you oh, know, yeah. 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 I was beating myself up physically. Um, I was bullying myself really. I, I, um, started with my eating disorder behaviors when I was around 11 and have never been without them. Just always, always looking in the mirror and not liking what I saw unable to look in the mirror and just didn't feel like I was adequate and didn't feel like I, I would just look at all the other people and just all I would see is all the things that I don't have and all the things that they have that make them better than me and all the ways that I lack. Like I just like was, I grew up just surrounded with like in my brain of just like voices telling me like how much I lack. So like the eating disorder was an escape and it was something that I had like control over. And it was something that I felt like was my little like secret in my back pocket that made me, um, just gave me power and control really. kind of in control. Right. Right. Definitely. Um, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm nothing of a therapist, but you know, like I, I'm, I have a few questions. What was the family picture like? You know, like, I mean, in terms of um, any siblings? Yeah, um, I'm the oldest, actually, of three. So my brother is a year younger than me, and then my sister is two years younger than that. But my father actually left when I was five, and we didn't really talk to him. He was not really a part of my life. There were a few times when I would like try to connect. We would try to connect, but, um, you know, he never showed up and we'd always just be waiting. So there was like the, that abandonment. And then my mother was left with three kids to herself and was under a lot of stress and was hurt, I think, from my dad leaving and, and doing um, her best, you know, like, I mean, that must be, that must be cra yeah. crazy, you know, like, even though, you know, like, I mean. Yeah. Cause I, you know, like I was just trying to figure out if, you know, like, so you, you pretty much, I think you pinpointed it, you know, like in the abandonment of it, but I was trying to figure out if there was some kind of, you know, like, um, you know, like, you know, like a perception of perfection somewhere, you know, like in terms of, you know, like you trying to, if you can't reach, you know, like, or you feel like you, you're, you're not enough, never, mm -hmm. um, was there example of, you know, like people that you, you would kind of, um, look up to that, you know, look like they were perfect? Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, definitely. I, so I never felt like anything I did was good enough for my mom. Um, her and I butted heads a lot and she was really hard on me. So I always, that weighed on me in a way that told me like everything I did wasn't good enough. So I really, tr I ended up like overachieving and ended up in all these clubs. I was doing theater. I was doing art. I was doing music. I was doing model UN. Um, but in theater, especially there's such a social dynamic there. Um, I would look at all these people that had like lead roles and were, were able to command the stage with such like grace and power. And I just, um, 
looked up to them and always compared myself to them. They had great voices. I wish my voice was better. They could act. They were popular. Um, they had boyfriends. And I just, that was never me. I was always on the sideline, um, just feeling really stupid. And I always felt even through doing all these clubs, like I, I even played field hockey and I just felt like, like the definition of imposter syndrome. Like here I was like performing all the actions and going through the motions, trying to look like I have it all together, trying to like compensate for like all the lack that I feel inside by forcing myself to be like as, as look as cool as possible on the outside. But I just always felt like an imposter. Like I didn't really belong there. Like I looked at everybody else and they like, just, it's like, I clearly am not, I'm not able to like really penetrate these groups of friends. Um, I was like, just, I had the hardest time getting along, just not even getting along, but making friends with people on my field hockey team. Um, always looking like at the third person almost like, like looking like you were like, like you had a camera over your shoulder. Um, and, and, and actually degrading you as you go along, you know, like, as you said, you know, like you were like, like almost like a robot doing the motions and, but at the same time, just Mm -hmm. judging yourself and, and, and it's weird because, you know, like when I say it's weird, I mean, some embraces that, you know, like you see, you, you talk to people that embrace being the outsider or the outlier or, you know, like kind of the introvert that has you know like and will embrace i don't know like the goth or you know like the punks and you know like all these that they will embrace that while your your situation is just you 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 want to be part of but you 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 can't find a way or the key to at least i guess you know like if if you'd ask a few of those people at the time they would say no she was you know she, she she was great you know Right. I did a lot of like, they call floating. So I was like friends, friends with everybody, but I didn't really have any really close, consistent friends that I could relate to. So, and my mom didn't like us having people over. Um, it was just a really, I just had a really hard time with my childhood. And so at 20, you take that first drink, you become center of attention and it's like opening like shazam you know opening the doors (laughs) i i still like i chased that feeling for the rest of my uh, life and i just never never could get it again that feeling was euphoric i was just like oh my god this is it like how how have i like been robbing myself of such an easy solution it's been so easy the whole time this is all i needed you know yeah did um and you just, you know, like you said it a few minutes ago, but you know, like it, it became almost a daily habit, I guess, quickly. Oh yeah. It was, um, you know, it started every weekend and then it started like wasted wine Wednesdays or taco tequila Tuesdays. And then I was drinking before class. And then I had like a date with a guy and I, I was drinking before the date, um, showing up drunk to parties already and um even like months into my drinking not even months I was um like overdosing and ending up in the hospital waking up in the hospital um friends having to call ambulances because I was just unconscious and you know I was I was severing, I was trying I thought I was making friendships but really what was happening was I was severing friendships left and right and making bonds with people that were supporting my, my bad habits. And I pushed all the good people out of my life really quickly. And I just wanted to keep people around that drank to my level pretty much. Did, um, my guess is that it, it, it must've impacted quickly the, your college years. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I actually did really well in college. Like my whole life, I just, I, I put myself, I just forced myself to do a good job. Um, I, I haven't been able to just like attack a 
a goal and just do a mediocre half-assed job. Like I always, I set my mind to something and I do it. And even with drinking, I mean, I, I was abusing some drugs, obviously. Um, I, but I managed to graduate pretty, pretty much top of my class and got a job right out of college. I wasn't even graduated before I had a job. Um, and I was doing, I was in a sorority. I was doing theater. It, it was kind of the same thing, but I've just always been like able to maintain a life, like functioning alcoholic, I guess I would call it, but it baffles me because it really, really got bad once I left college. And once I was no longer around those people who were supporting my bad habits, um, then I was just left alone to drink and use drugs by myself. And that was where the problem really, really started to get carried away. Which drugs are we uh, referring to here? Um, pot, uh, psychedelics, which I don't, I don't know. Um, and then I would do a lot of Molly and cocaine and, um, Adderall, which <laughs> helped me through a lot of all nighters. <clears throat> yeah. I, I just couldn't, you know, like remember the name, but you know, like it's, it's Adderall is one that, um, we don't know much about in, you know, like in, in, in my region, um, even though, you know, like I'm, like I said, you know, like I'm 45. So that was definitely something that, you know, like we didn't know about, uh, when I was in, in school. Um, can you explain what Adderall does and, you know, like how it helps? Because I know it is almost like a plague in, 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 in college life. Mm-hmm. There's like an, an Adderall oh. epidemia, um, yeah. So it's a prescription drug. It's a controlled substance. So you can't have it without a prescription and you, it, it's most it's for, it's prescribed for kids with ADHD and ADD. Um, mostly this is found in kids, but it is found in some young adults and even in some cases, adults ADHD symptoms. But what it really is when you break it down is a methamphetamine, which is in the same family as meth itself so it really, it, it keeps you up for hours. It makes you not have to eat. A lot of people abuse it for losing weight. Um, and yeah, it's the token like college best friend because you can just, you take an Adderall and then suddenly you can, you're writing like a, like a 10 page paper overnight and everything you write just is like, it helps you just get your ideas out. For me, it just helped me clear my mind, focus on what I needed to do and, um, get, just get things done because I would, I was great at procrastinating. Uh, does it suburb, does it suburbs you up? You know, like if you're drunk and you take it? Um, yeah, I would say so. So that gets really dangerous too. And, um, you're mixing, then you don't really feel the effects of the alcohol you're drinking as much. So you think that you have to drink more and more and then that definitely can lead to overdose. And I was doing that. I got really lucky. And I think a few times, like maybe that was why, like I was in the hospital so much or meeting with the campus uh, alcohol counselor. Oh, already, you know, like, so you had those meetings. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so I was in a sorority and I, we were, we did socials with different fraternities on campus and it was one of my first socials. It was my sophomore year and I don't remember the night and I woke up in the hospital and I had to basically, that was the first time I had to lie. I had to meet with campus alcohol counselors and tell them that I was proved to them that I was okay. And I, I, I chalked it up and I was like, it was a fluke. There were jello shots. I didn't know. I'd never really drank before. Um, but I, that was, I was lying. That was the first time I ever lied to cover up like the amount that I drank. And I would come to do that a lot to various doctors. Was there, um, you know, like when you do that, I have a feeling that, you know, like it, it was, um, if you, if you, you seem to remember this quite vividly, was there kind of, you know, like the, the. Even though, you know, like I, I'm guessing that, you know, like it's going to take a while before, you know, like you kind of um, start trying to 
turn your life around. But was that the first few seeds or embryo planted into you of that shouldn't be the way life, mm. you know, like you live life? Right. Right. Did I see like that? I maybe did have a problem. Um, I think at that point I didn't, I did just think that I, I had maybe miscalculated how much alcohol was in the drinks I was drinking. But I, I think the whole time I was in denial because I, to, to this day, I say that I was definitely an alcoholic from the time I took my first drink, whether I knew it or not. Um, you know, I don't know, but I kept drinking. So clearly it didn't matter really. Yeah. And you know, like at the same time, like it's, it's, um, I, I, I do ask that question almost every time, even though, you know, like I, I, I totally understand, you know, like I was the same, you know, like you, 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 I remember fainted, I, I, I fainted, um, in the car with my ex, the, the, the mother of my, my first two kids at the time, um, the two kids were actually in their baby seats in the back. And mm -hmm. I faint, I fainted because I was, well, fucking stoned, but not only that, I was, um, hiding a lie at the time. And when she told me that, you know, like the fact, the pressure was so high that just the fact of hiding the lie made me faint on a red light. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, so, you know, like anyone that's, you know, like I would say quote unquote normal would imagine that. That would be kind of, you know, like it has to be that day, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, but I remember the next day talking about food poisoning, talking about me not having, you know, like I haven't ate enough. So, you know, like yeah. my stomach was empty, um, oh, you know, like crying, you know, like I, you know, like I, you know, like I, I, I would like to say fake crying, but I was not fake crying. I was actually literally crying, but it was... Yeah bullshit you know like it was it was me crying to cover up that i was stoned to the gills you know like so so um so no yeah. it wasn't you know like it wasn't that day even though you know like I, i i have flashes of you know like i have memories of waking up or being well you know like 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 the good old drunk promises of you know like mm -hmm. this is the last time blah 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 i remember having those thoughts of that can't be it. You know, like that can't be, fuck, I'm going to die. You know, like I'm, you know, something will happen to me, you know, like, so, um, so yeah, I tend to ask those questions, even though I know that, um, for most of people, um, you know, like until that last day when, you know, like it's one drink too much or one, you know, like one dose too much, um, mm -hmm. that is that day, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, go and ahead when you start to realize that like it is a problem and you can't stop drinking anyway or using that's when it really that's when you really start to suffer not I, i remember the day i was graduated from college and i was living by myself and i was talking to my mom on the phone and she was like you know are you you shouldn't be drinking by yourself like if you're drinking alone by yourself you have a problem and that was like the first time really that it like dawned on me that other people were noticing and then like guilt started coming into play and like I, I knew deep down she was right but I you know I rationalized my way out of it I was like it's just wine and I'm just having it with dinner but I mean that was that wasn't the case and it's such a vicious cycle right you know like you drink to forget that you feel guilty that yeah, you drink that, you know yeah. like which is bullshit you know like it's mm -hmm. it's a yeah, downward yeah. spiral of just hell you know like you wanna yeah. you, you, and you never can get drunk enough you know like that's why you know like i'm i'm so when did i oh last last week i actually read someone um you know like it was a facebook status of someone mentioning It was something like, okay, I'm, I'm one full week clean now after, uh, uh, I don't know. I think it was a few months stint of relapse after six mm -hmm. years clean and I got chills and I told my wife and you know, like she's not, you know, like she's not, um, an addict 
Um, and uh, I told her, you know, like I just read her the status and I, I, I had chills, you know, like, and she was like, what does it, you know, like, what does it do to you? I'm like, I'm scared shitless of relapse. I know. You know, but- I, I'm so worried about that. You know, like it, it, it scares me and I'm happy that it scares me. Yeah, for sure. I always say cunning, baffling, powerful, and then I add patient because it's always waiting for you. Like you can't ever let your guard down. Yep. And it's, it's, I think, you know, like fear, you know, like in that situation is a great motivator. Um, because I never know, you know, like I, I just never know. And, you know, like it's, um, even, you know, like after, you know, like, you know, actually a few years in, um, I still am, you know, like, um, shaken by, you know, like people, you know, like when I read that, you know, like I'm still, I'm, you know, like I'm, it makes, it makes me sad. It makes me just, um, scared. Um, you know, like, and, and, you know, like I think some of the worst cases of people I've met are those that, um, become not worried of relapsing, which is the most dangerous, um, I think it, it must be the most dangerous feeling I've have, you know, like to have. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, like, so you were talking about, you know, like kind of drinking to forget and, you know, like that you drink and, you know, kind of that, that, and, and not forgiving yourself. So you drink enough, you know, like to forget that anyways, you know, like that cycle. Um, mm-hmm. my guess is that, you know, like, as I learned, cause you know, like I, I had never attended a meeting or, or knew about therapy or knew about, you know, like I knew a therapy exists, but you know, like I saw them in movies. And so, you know, like it was always like a bunch of old drunken men in a basement, you know, like, so it looked like <laughs> so dark and, you know, like just like, it was like a shitty dark place that people were always looking like homeless people. And so for me, it was weird, you know, like, so therapy was sitting in circle and talking and, and ther- in meetings where, like the caricature of it, you know, like, so, um, but after I was given the key to sobriety, kind of, you know, like kind of the toolbox of sobriety, I was always worried that, um, relapse would make me discredit that toolbox. And that what was worth me the most, you know, like that was, that, that is still to this day, what, um, keeps me sober is the fact that, you know, like I, I never want to discredit um the toolbox yeah. that i have you know so yeah you know that makes total sense um you never want to like let people down also like the people that you surround yourself with that give you the toolbox you're just like as well yeah it's like it's like a thing of ego i guess it's like i you cannot i cannot relapse i can't i can't see you i can't have you see me like this you know Yes. And there's, there's definitely something around the, um, now I know, you know, like, so now I know that it's, it's, it's not only feasible, but it's not that hard. Um, you know, like there are tougher days for sure. But what I'm, what I mean is that 15 years in, I can tell you that it's mostly easy, you know, like, so, um, and I would say that, you know, like, um, cause I've had my share of, you know, like, um, mourning and, you know, like death, in the family, you know, like all kinds of shitty situation going through them, um, cold, uh, you know, like sober is much easier, way easier. Um, because much more quickly, you, you, you know, like you kind of just, um, lay it down and figure it out, you know, like while stone and drunk, you know, like you just, swirl and, and, and it's just a swirl of shit, you know, like you, you, you never get out, you know, like you, you can almost drawn into it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, so, so now having the key to it, you know, like I would, you know, like it, it scares, it scares me a lot, you know, like it, it worries me a lot that, you know, like, um, after, you know, like, so yeah, that lady after six years, you know, like you get, you get into, um, kind of a, you know, like a, a stint of re- relapse of a few months, I, you know, like, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, anyways, you know, like, so all to say, um, what happens next? You know, like, I, my guess is that, you know, like now you're home alone, <laughs> you're home alone and, mm-hmm. uh, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, 
this must be just like um like a downhill situation for you yeah well it could be um but i decided when i was in treatment that i was never going to go back to my desk job again because for me working despite having a, de a degree working behind a desk was it was killing me like i was crying in the fetal position on the bathroom floors in the stall in the stall like the public stall i i was like drinking at work i it was not for me so what i did was i made a i made up my mind that i was not going to go back there and i've always loved drawing and art and i've never really gotten to while i was drinking all through my 20s like I would try, I would try to do art, but it, I would just get too drunk to finish any projects and nothing I came out was good. Um, but this past August, I started, what happened was my sister asked me to draw a picture of her and her dog. And I did that and posted it on Facebook. And then I got a few inquiries overnight. And then within a week, I had like 10 inquiries. And now I've got a list of like 25 portraits i'm doing people's pets so people are asking me to drop custom por uh, portraits of their pets their cats and dogs and i i've been doing that pretty much for full-time work all day every day i wake up i have a clear mind i take my medications as prescribed um and then i make myself a cup of a pot of coffee and i just start i just go to work drawing and i I'm happy and I'm able to focus and I don't need any substances to get me through that. Like I, I have a huge list right now of portraits that I need to finish before Christmas for Christmas gifts. So can you bring me to, you know, like that, that, that day where you've had enough, you know, like that you, you, you turned your life around. Oh yeah. So, well, geez. I was in treatment. I was in outpatient and I was dealing with my eating disorders too. I was um, gaining weight rapidly, but I was binging and I was purging and I was like storing garbage bags of like vomit under my bed and forgetting about them. And I, um, I was so miserable. I didn't want to live. Like I, I was closet drinking because um I had tried to go to a rehab up in upstate New York um in January of 2019 and I only stayed sober like two months because I was in this awful polyamorous relationship where um I was living with a couple that had been together seven years and they were great people but it just wasn't for me and it was tearing me up inside so I was miserable in my relationship I couldn't look in the mirror because I had gained so much weight. Um, I was eating un uncontrollably. I was miserable at my job, drinking at work and um, closet drinking, like hiding my driving around town to throw away my bottles at different um, garbage dumps. And it was just exhausting and trying to go to work and trying to get enough alcohol in me to carry me through a day was just it wasn't working anymore and I was trying to go to this outpatient treatment but they finally they caught the alcohol in my urine and they um approached me and said that they they knew that I was drinking and I tried to deny it and they they knew better and said you need to go to rehab again we're sending you back and I was like well, I can't I really can't but um I asked work if I could leave again and they were really, really upset. They didn't like it. And I, I knew, I knew that like at that point that job was not for me because I didn't really understand like the fact that I would relapse after they already had given me um, two months off to go to rehab. So this was my second rehab, but instead of going upstate New York, I went to Swift, uh, Swift river in Massachusetts. That was in June. So on June 14th, 2019, was my admission date and that place was incredible and I I'm sober till this day.
did um what made it different you know like what what was different from the first time that you you went in therapy you know like there's you know like I, I, it's not the first time that i hear that but you know like what made it different this time um a couple things did i think the quality of the treatment there it was um wet, rather than being really really strict and um just meetings from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. There were activities included. So we got to do art. We got to do nature walks, disc golf, rock climbing courses. Um, I got to just really like paint. I wasn't even allowed to bring pencils and a pen um, or in a notebook to my first rehab to put that in perspective. Um, it was just a really nice place, but then I think the bigger thing that made it different this time was instead of going right back to right back home to Syracuse in the same job, I left the job and I left the couple and I left Syracuse and I said, I'm going to California and I'm going to do aftercare. So I went straight into PHP, um, in California, Southern California and just a treatment center. Um, with, with a sober living house attached to it. So I lived in their sober living and I attended groups all day. Um, I did that for a year and I, I just kept myself in sober living and I surrounded myself with sober people. Um, they say, don't go back to people, places and things. So I, I just going back to Syracuse, I knew that wasn't going to work because I was just going to start drinking again. Um, and it kept me we had to, you know, get your analysis every other day. So that kept me honest, but it worked for me. So, um, I'm glad I went there and yeah. Was, um, what kind of plan, you know, like, I mean, you know, like in terms of, you know, like, cause you, you, I'm hearing that, you know, like you, you, you were attacking a few things you know like on your plate you know like the eating disorder and the substance abuse and um you talk that you know like you, you you're you're on a you're, you're on a prescription for you know like kind of you know like balancing um you know like stuff you know like you know like that are prescribed now um you know like what, what kind of action plan can you can you can you elaborate a bit on you know like how did they um, approach this in terms of, you know, like, do they, do they touch on the substance abuse first? You know, like how do they, you know, like what was their angle of approaching this? Um, well, they set you up with a case manager who sets you up with a medical doctor nearby. So they, they monitor like your physical health and then they set you up with a psychiatrist who monitors your, um, your medications and reassesses them if you're on them. Um, they set you up with a drug that's called naltrexone, which is an opioid blocker, and it helps with cravings for alcohol and opiates. And from there, other than the sober living and the, the urine screenings every two days, we just attend groups. They could be on anything from... So groups are like... They could be on anything from like the science of addiction and relapse prevention to like just he basic human um, development, like human interaction, just communication skills, like boundaries and being assertive and how to confront conflict. Um, we just do a lot of hands-on things too, and they offer a family program. They offer um, a whole a whole weekend actually of therapy, one-on-one one -on -one therapy with your counselor and your, your family in question. My mom and I did it and it totally changed our relationship like for the better. It was really cool. Um, yeah. And I, then I need you Cassie to elaborate on that because you know, like I, I, this was offered, you know, like at, at the time, uh, when I did therapy and you know, like I, I want you to, just tell our listeners, you know, like, you know, like how important that is and, you know, like what, what it consists of. Um, because, you know, like I, I spent a lot of time trying to explain that, um, 
actually to my to my mom you know like that you know like i you know like it was a sickness and you know like but um yeah i i i i'd love to hear your take on you know like the the benefit of you know like having your family participate in that yeah so in a lot of cases the family just can't understand and they feel really helpless and they've tried and they've tried and they it just baffles them that no matter what, like no matter all the pain that it's causing, like you just keep going back to it. And so it's really helpful for them to get the education behind the science of addiction and behind the reasons why the brain wires itself the way it does, um, the way it stops producing its own dopamine and um, oxytocin. But aside from that, it's like, Let's lay out all of our resentments toward each other. Let's lay out a list of everything that we want to apologize for. And then let's end the weekend with a list of everything that we love about each other. And so I really got to see a glimpse, like a really, really personal glimpse of this disease from my mom's perspective and I knew it hurt her and I knew she'd seen, she's seen some shit. Um, and she's been there for me. I got really lucky because a lot of, a lot of parents or guardians just give up, kick, kick the addict out of the house and out of the family. They just, they, they just don't get it. And my mom really wanted to get it. So she, she participated in this, um, when it was an option, she didn't have to. And, uh, we'd laid out a lot of our, our vulnerabilities and I said, sorry for all the shit that I put her through. And she apologized for a lot of things that happened when I was a kid. And there was a lot of tears, a lot of tears. And, um, she just, now she knew, she knew how sorry I was. And she, she knows that I couldn't really, it was, it's a disease. Like I was trying my best, you know, and, and it's nice and to have professionals there, like guiding yeah. the whole thing, yeah. telling her. You need a mediator. You need someone in the middle of that, that. You, know, because you know, because sometimes you're like, you're given, you're, you're given the tools, you know, like, of, you know, kind of clearing the air and, you know, like explaining yourself and, but you need, you absolutely need someone like in the middle, like in the middle ground in a neutral position to, um, just lay things down, you know, like, and, and sometimes just say, okay, let's take just like a breather here. Let's take a break. Mm -hmm. And, um, cause there are no, um, yeah, it's so emotional, you know, like there's so much stuff in there, you know, like yeah. I think to that day, um, my mom died, um, like the first week of the pandemic, you know, like the first few, uh, oh, the so second sorry. weeks of March and, um, yeah, thanks. And, and, and there, I think, to this day, you know, like she, she was just like, so you're never going to have a drink again. Right. You know, like I was like, no, <laughs> at least not today, you know, like, so, yeah, not um, today. and, 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 you know, but, but those sessions are, are almost as important as having the, the full toolbox for yourself. You know, like it's, it's, it's crazy important. So yeah, I'm mm -hmm. glad you, you explained, uh, you explained it because, you know, like, I, I think there are people that, you know, like I've been missing that. And, you know, like if it's not through therapy, at least find a mediator or someone that's going to be in a neutral position for you to vent out, you know, like yeah. all of these things, you know, like, so it's better not be alone doing that. Right. And the same goes for, you know, loved ones, like significant others and husband, wife, not just your parents, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And so you, you, you told, you told us a bit about, um, the, the, um, kind of nowadays, you know, like how, you know, like how are things going, but is there like, um, a daily, um, a, you know, like kind of a daily diet, you know, like, and, and those are not bad puns here. Um, daily, you know, like a, a daily schedule of stuff that you need to 
do to keep yourself, you know, like to keep your sobriety sane and, you know, like healthy, um, what would be, you know, like your, your typical, um, day like? Yeah. So sleep is really, really important. I try to get as much sleep as my body wants. Um, I meditate a lot. I use an app on my phone called insight timer and they have hundreds of free meditations. Um, you can sort by anxiety, depression, motivation. If you're looking for sleep stories or just people to read off affirmations to you, meditation is a really important tool in my kit right now. Um, I'll meditate for a couple hours each day. Honestly, um, I know that seems a lot, but I started smaller. So it's like 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes around lunchtime and then like I meditate myself to sleep because sometimes my thoughts are so loud um but you know having my mom around really helps doing art and um knowing I have things I need to accomplish really helps staying in touch with friends via social media I, I like to keep an active social media presence and I like to be really transparent about my addictions so people can see that it's okay. And there shouldn't be an, um, a stigma. Like I, I have a lot of people that reach out and say like, thank you so much for sharing. Like they ask me advice and stuff, but when it comes to like practical things, like I, I keep seltzer water on hand at all times. And I, I'm always drinking coffee and, you know, you have to take time out of yourself for self-care. And sometimes I'm not so great at it, but like, there's times where I get really stuck in my head and I, my feelings just start to take over and my depression gets crazy and I'm crying and I can't seem to manage my emotions and I just have to reset. And sometimes that just takes me taking a shower. as simple as taking a shower, doing a meditation. And then, um, like watching something that just makes me feel good on Netflix I have a whole list of books too. I have a whole stack of books that I read through, like a lot of self-help books and a lot of like um, workbooks. I have workbooks on trauma and boundaries that I work through when I have the time, but it's a lot of art. Um, I do meetings online, of course. And then, um, yeah, it just... Would you say that... Would you say that your, you know, like the social media presence um, adds a, a layer of accountability in there? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. When I was recovering, when I decided, when I got back from my eating disorder treatment, I had been transparent about my alcoholism and uh, my addictions before, but I, I never thought I would be transparent about my eating disorders, and I, I decided to put myself out there and let people know, and. That was in large part me being accountable. And yeah, I mean, you'd never, me putting the fact that I am sober out there and updating my followers with sobriety milestones, like means I can never go back out with any of my friends and say like, hey, you want to get a drink? Because they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like, I'd have to find all new friends, like, and I'm not good at that. So it's huge. It's huge for accountability. Yeah. And, you know, like, that's this something that, um, um, yeah, you make, you actually make yourself accountable because you, you, you present yourself as um, having like, a, a, you know, like a, a sober life, you know, like, so, so it would be, um you know, like, you know, like the, definitely, you know, like there's, there's a higher price to pay <laughs> almost to, yeah. you know, like just, um, not only failing yourself, but, you know, like having a feeling of failing others that are, you know, like I've had people reaching out telling me that, you know, like even the podcast has helped them, you know, like, so I would feel, um, you know, like th there's, there's a feeling of, you know, like you talked about the imposter, you know, like I, I would be, it mm. would be, it would be weird for me you know, like to think about, you know, like having a drink or, you know, like a <laughs> right. recording this tone, you know, that would be fucked up, you know, like, so, um, 
<laughs> oh, hey, sorry, but you know, like I just smoked a big fat joint. Like that would be just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> welcome to cold turkey. I'm high. Yeah. You know, like that, <laughs> that, that wouldn't work. So, and yeah, I mean, like that, that, that podcast has helped me in, 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 in ways that I, I would have never figured out. You know, like mm-hmm. I think that, you know, like my sobriety was pretty stable. Um, you know, like I have a, a you know, like my, my, I have a, my, my, my home, you know, like is, is just a nest of love, you know, like there, there, you know, like it's, there's nothing that, um, you know, like I've shaped has shaken, um, my sobriety, you know, like, and I've learned, I, I've always, I will always remember someone, um, her name was Marianne, you know, like, and, and thanks to her because, you know, like I remember reading, um, NA has like, um, kind of a guidebook of working the steps and, um, mm-hmm. One question was around, um, step one, which is, you know, like feeling powerless over your addiction. And, um, that question, what was, what could happen that would make you relapse? You know, like what would be the worst thing that, you know, like what, what's the worst thing that could happen in your life? You know, like the death of a relative or, you know, like whatever would be that, you know, like you would consider, um, uh, a reason enough to relapse. And I remember she right there said, um, I would, nothing will lower myself down to a relapse. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's the best angle I would have ever described it. Um, cause you know, like you, you start thinking about it. It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, like if my, you know, like the time, you know, like if you know, like my father dies, you know, like if my mom dies, uh, you know, like, and you start thinking about that. And then as she answered, um, yeah, nothing could come, uh, you know, like no, nothing would be, um, like tough enough or hard enough or, 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 or that I would lower myself to a relapse. I was like, holy shit. Okay. She's got, you know, like she's got the best answer ever. And, um, I'm, I'm always going to be grateful for that answer because it's actually it, you know, like there's, there's nothing, but at the same time, like adding the, it's not pressure, you know, like some, some wouldn't see that as pressure. I think it's not pressure. It's really accountability for it. You know, like you want to, you, if you do it first for yourself, you know, like you can, you can add other folks in there and you know, like it's okay. You know? <laughs> right. I'm definitely where she is too. I, I mean, one day at a time, right? But I don't think there's anything that could happen that relapsing and drinking wouldn't make worse. They say it's like throwing gasoline on an open fire. Yeah. So, and, yeah, and, right and now, I don't think. So dangerous. You know, like it's, like I said, you know, like there are so many people that um, you don't see again, you know, like especially uh, the pandemic has done that, you know, like where, um, you hear about, you know, like, or, or you don't see people online that, you know, like you saw in, in, in meeting rooms and, uh, it makes you wonder, you know, like, where are they, are they doing better? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, like it's, a, it's, you know, it's just, uh, it's crazy. It's definitely crazy. Last thing, um, for our listeners, um, you know, like you just talked about it, but you know, like where can people find you? Um, that's a great question. I am on Instagram, um, cassandrosa.art.art. It's my first name, which is Cass, C-A-S-S. And then my last name, which is spelled anger, O-S-A. So it's cassandrosa.art on Instagram. And then I have a... Um, a Facebook, I'm Cassie Andros on Facebook. You're welcome to friend me. And then I have my Facebook business page, which is for my pet portraits. So if you search pet portraits by Cassie, that should come up And Cassie is C-A-S-S-I-E, not Y. Perfect. And, and for those that are listening, um, Casey is going to provide me with all these links um, and they're going to be found in the description of the episodes right below. If you're listening to it to any platform you're listening to it, the description is going to contain all of the links. So um, just don't press pause and take notes. You know, it's all in there. Um, 
thanks a lot for your time, Cassie. You know, like really, you know, like I appreciate every single one of the guests and the people that I reach out to that, you know, like are mostly strangers right now, you know, like people that don't know me and they don't know about the podcast. And, um, as you did, you know, like everyone, you know, like most of the people that I reach out to are accepting and it's, um, not only humbling and flattering, it's just, uh, you know, like it's an amazing journey for me. You know, like I, I, I am impressed by the community of, you know, like the sobriety community, just like accepting this and sharing their story. And, um, you know, like every, almost every week I have, I have my share of people reaching out and telling me that, um, that, that, that thing is helping them. And, you know, like, you know, and, and you're now part of that. So thanks. Really. Yeah, thank, thank you. you, Alex. Thanks for reaching out. It was a pleasure. It was a, it was a blast. Thanks. And, um, yeah, I, you know, like I safe, stay safe and, uh, we'll, we'll have, uh, probably a chance to talk, uh, soon. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.